My name is Gunner, and I play in a local Austin band called The Big Gun Show, and I created this podcast to sit down with other songwriters, musicians, artists, and lovers of music to talk about their top five records that have inspired their lives and musical prowess. I am freaking hating COVID. It's ruining my life. All the bars and restaurants here in Austin are shutting down, and I've said it before, but I read a study that said by Halloween, 90% of all music clubs in Austin will be closed. Well, say what you want, but my take is that most of the clubs might close and close for good, but there's no chance that Austin is going to relinquish its title of live music capital of the world. There'll be a ton of new clubs opening up. And, And you know what? I can't wait for things to open up because I miss playing out. I miss playing out, having a rocking time, having a fun time with everybody. And once we're playing out again, you can catch us, The Big Gun Show, at our monthly happy hour residency from 6 to 8 at the Little Longhorn Saloon here in Austin on the first Friday of every month. And, oh, guess what? The band just went into the studio over Labor Day weekend, and we're recording a new album called Full Length Vinyl Honky Rock. Side A is Honky Tonk, flip it over, and you got full-on rock and roll. Well, today, I'm talking to Robert Wagner. Now, he's been around in Austin for quite some time. Uh, He's got some great stories that sync up with his top five records, and he talks about the Jesus Christ Superstar Band was Joe Cocker's touring band. He told me that Lou Reed did not like the positive press that uh, that, that his band was getting, so he fired him, and then they went over to Alice Cooper. Uh, And then... And his dad, his dad, Dick Wagner. What a hero. He saw Alice Cooper live, and lastly, he got painted quarters so that he could play the jukebox. Now, let's get to the conversation, but first, close your eyes. You're out there with Robert Wagner. What five records do you have? Well, great episode coming up here. We've got Robert Wagner uh, with us today. Hello, Robert. What's going on, my brother? Um, yes, I, I'm, I get a chance to look at Robert, but you guys can't see him. But he's got a big old beer, a uh, thirty-eight point something ounce beer, and it looks makes him dwar- looks like a, a hobbit <laughs> in, in the screen. But that's that's I'm a hobbit with a dosekis. I have a hobbit of uh, drinking these uh, at least yeah. once or twice. <laughs> I, like I told you they wouldn't give me a 40 because i'm not hood enough so they I, yeah well, I, ha- I have a hobbit of drinking too much tequila so that's we've, we've both got hobbits and vices <laughs> uh all right so let's talk about your top five records robert um i've got right here the beatles white album alice cooper welcome to my nightmare elton john's greatest hits physical graffiti by zeppelin and jesus christ superstar um Okay, good. All right, so Robert, where are you taking these records? My wish, Gunter, would be to take these records into a football stadium full of teenagers who are uninitiated in the ways of 70s and late 60s rock and make them put down their their music and listen to the classics, the best of the best historic music not that anybody would uh, leave there changed but at least they would get to hear it i'm sure somebody would 
Well, we're going to have to wait for all this COVID shit to go away before we can make that happen. Oh, yeah, that was more of a fantasy land. That's, that's where it's supposed to be. You know, some people <laughs> say they, they take them to desert island. Some people say they take them to jail. All right, well, listen, so okay. I'm gonna, I want to start off with something that you turned me on to, and this is why I love this podcast. I now have more records than I know what to do to listen to. Um, but I want to talk about Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay, now I know it's a rock opera. I know it was done, uh, I believe, originally in 1970. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber uh, wrote the music. And who was it? Tim Rice wrote the, the lyrics, I believe. Yep. Yeah, that's correct. They, uh, they were both in their 20s when they did it. Um, they had done Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat uh, when they were barely 20 years old and had some success with that. And the next thing they did was uh, the Jesus Christ Superstar. And, of course, since then, you know, Evita, Phantom of the Opera, and, 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 and the list goes on and on, you know, uh, stuff that they've done and uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's done. But, yeah, it was a rock opera, man. It's kind of got that – hippie rock vibe to it but yeah. it's really really cool i know it's it's super cool i mean i wanted last night to go watch it i couldn't really find it i couldn't find anything uh to watch i i, I mean do you know if they're still touring with this on like on broadway or absolutely like it's always going on somewhere the last thing that i saw was actually on tv and was an, an all uh, african-american cast oh, cool. with John legend leading the way as jesus and uh it was so they had like a 17 year old guitar player who was just cruising around the stage killing it but right. uh that came out around, i think uh maybe two christmases ago and which i thought was brilliant but yeah there's always a production going around you know always i mean it's uh, and it's been going on like that since uh, the first one i think in 71 when it went to broadway well when it comes there's a movie as well um uh yeah it's from like 1973 or something like that yeah the movie is uh, a trip but the the guy that plays uh, Jesus in the movie is a guy named Ted Neely, and he came from a yep. super small town in Texas. I mean, like the number two money maker in that town is like the community college. So I mean, for him to come out <laughs> nowhere and be this legendary rock singer, uh, and, uh, you know, playing Jesus, it's pretty it's pretty cool. And he's got an intensity. Now, are you are you a religious person? I am, uh, you know spiritual person as uh, you and me both uh you know most of us who aren't uh adamant churchgoers but uh, i find myself more and more you know even in my songwriting uh not to get off on another tangent but these these uh, spiritual things of you know god and things just keep popping back up so i don't you know and i have a very religious family on one side of my on my dad's side of the family other than my dad so uh but you know jesus christ superstar was just a the uh it was a I think it was a double album, obviously, but yeah. it had a big round wrapper on it, and it was in my mom's record collection when I was a kid. And I kept going, wondering, "What is that?" And then one day I broke it out when I think I had the mumps or something, and box, uh, <laughs> and uh, I lost my mind, man. And that was, geez, I, I mean, I can see it came out it was seventy, it was seventy. I was probably nine years old or something when I wow, first heard okay. it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. So, um, you know, I do know that, the, you know, at least on the record, there's no spoken dialogue. I haven't seen the shows yet, but I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I saw, I think I, I could find something that was on a, on stage, like a theater, a theater performance of it. But, you know, it's loosely based on, you know, the gospel account of the last week of Jesus's um, life, you know, from right when he came in to cr- crucifixion. 
Yeah, and it was uh, done from, uh, which was the concept that really got him going from the perspective of Judas, which right. is really interesting. And uh, how he saw it and, and some, you know, what some people consider controversial themes um, about, you know, Judas in, in, in this uh, rock opera kind of blames Jesus for his suicide, like, you know, and it's really interesting. But the whole thing is, yeah, it's sung through. Uh, which was a conscious choice that those guys made when they did it. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and give a quick overview synopsis from my prerogative. Mm-hmm. Um, Judas, he's pretty much the, I will call, I'm going to call him the antagonist. Uh, worries about Jesus is following, uh, going out of control. Um, he tells Jesus that he should not hang out with a prostitute. And Jesus tells him, well, hey, you shouldn't make judgments unless you're free of sin. And then the whole Jesus must die and, and Judas gets paid off. And then Peter denies Jesus like three times. And then he get uh, Jesus gets bounced around from king to king or whatever it was. And then he's crucified. So that's, that's my one minute story. Yeah. And it's all stuff that was in the Bible. Yeah, uh, for yeah, sure. It's, Pilot. It's Pontius Pilate. Yeah. And it's a, uh, and yeah, but uh, from the very beginning, the overture, you know, coming out of the overture is Judas, and he's just setting it up with uh, how he's been uh, Jesus' right-hand man uh, the whole way. And now his uh, popularity, Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. notoriety is making him, uh, giving him a death sentence, and all of them, you know, from the Romans. And uh, so he's desperate, and, and at the same time, you know, history showed that Judas sold out Jesus. And, you know, so it's right. uh, really interesting. But in the way it's sung, it's just so cool and it's so soulful. I mean, you just got to hear it. I mean, this is not uh, like typical Broadway stuff. This is, I mean, it's not rock rock, but it's rocking the whole way through. And and the vocal performance uh, is just amazing, amazing. Yeah, and so let me talk about the vocal performance for a second, who could have also been perfect in this. Uh, Jack Black. I mean, he <laughs> like, would, I mean, I, when I hear, I hear school, I hear him in School of Rock going, doing all, all those high falsetto terrellos. That's great. Oh man, I, yeah. As soon as you said that, I'm, I'm going, yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> that would definitely put a little more comical edge on it. Possibly. I mean, he's, he's a serious musician. Yeah, well, I mean, he did something quasi similar with the whole Tenacious D deal, but that was. Yeah, I, I have no doubt that it's it's some of that parody's taken. You know, in the same way that I I hear Chris Cornell, I feel like a lot of he was probably a huge fan of it, like I am, because he's got some of those same kind of lyrical things and the way he sings. Um, it's just something I've always felt. Um, you know, maybe a more on a serious level than Jack Black, but I'm sure Jack Black's probably a fan of it too. I mean, there's no doubt. Uh, if he is not, I'd be baffled. Yeah. I really would be. Yeah. So I agree. So this album, because you kind of grew up, you found it when you were young, Mm -hmm. but it really, it did shape the way that you view music. Is that right? Absolutely. And one one of the things that blew my mind when I finally figured it out was that uh, Ian Gillen was Jesus in this recording, the original recording. And he had just joined Deep Purple. So, I mean, it wasn't like he was... uh, fully established as the rock star oh, Ian Gillen from Deep Purple. But um, yeah, it's really, it, once I knew that it clicked because I, you know, Deep Purple, hello, you know, it's, again, since right. I was uh, young enough to find out the killer rock. So, um, 
and you know the guitars uh, all of it all the arrangements um all the songs themselves uh, the diff the ranges of the singers you know was one of the things that got me you know and i would want to you know i would want to hit some of those low baritone notes which i couldn't but i would just you know in my heart i was getting down there and then hitting the you know there's a ted neely especially would know for uh, hitting a high g above uh, above high c that is a note I've probably hit a couple times in my life, but it wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't singing a whole song and holding out a note for, you know, eight seconds. But, um, I mean, it, so it's really incredible like that. And, uh, and, and I just, you know, I like the dramatic parts of, of rock and roll as well as this, you know, just the balls out stuff you know, always have, you know? Yeah, no, no, no doubt. And uh, I mean, some of the guitar tones that they were getting in there, you know, you, I, I thought they were going to be really cheesy, but they were really, they were, they were spot on. Yeah, it's a nice you know? fuzzy stuff too here and there. Yeah. yeah. So the uh, music on there was primarily Joe Cocker's touring band. So th that would just tell you right away that. Uh, okay. I did not know these, that. These cats had, these were not just some guys they brought in from other Broadway plays, uh, you know, or shows. Um, this was just some of the baddest guys in the business, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Um, okay. So, uh, what else do you have to say about Jesus Christ Superstar? I would say you could possibly have your mind blown if you want to come back and check it out and just, you know, spend a little time with it and just let it flow over you. And, um, you know, I think you got to listen to it at some point. I'm glad that you did, brother, because uh, oh, I, listen to, earlier, I listen to every record that anybody picks. I have, yeah. I have to, or I, this conversation <laughs> is like ass. Well, I'm glad I was the one that was able to turn you on to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so thank you for that. But we're going to go from one theatrical album to another. And I cool. think you know what I'm talking about. Now, let me talk about Welcome to My Nightmare. 1975. It's um, Alice Cooper's first solo album. Um, there's a concept here. The concept is uh, a journey through uh, a boy named Steven's uh, nightmares. Yes, now, sir. I have a question for you. How influential was your father in you picking this record? Oh, I, hugely. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, really, that, that's, it. that's one of the main things, I guess. Um, and, you know, trying to think of all the great uh, guitar records. I mean, there's just countless and there's maybe others that are better, but um, I love the guitar playing that my dad did on this record. And uh, the main reason, I guess, since you asked, thank you, is uh, for me. So, you know, and you know, in the movie, Almost Famous, mm -hmm. um, you know, he gets backstage. Finally, he gets through the back door, 15 years old. Right. And... Uh, and he walks out and he's in the Roman era of rock and roll backstage. And that's, I had that moment at Cobo Hall visiting, uh, getting to see my dad play on, the, on that tour of that record in 75. And so, you know, that was the exact moment walking back and, and backstage at Alice Cooper, uh, Welcome to My Nightmare Tour, that I knew I have to do this. <laughs> this is yeah, me. Right? I, this is, these are my people, <laughs> you know. And uh, I was, uh, let me see, I was 12, probably almost 13. Um, so I was certainly at that impressionable age 
and uh, it, that it made, made a huge impression on me. And then the music, you know. Oh, the music is in, insane. Um, you know, I saw, you know, uh, your dad was on a pro producer, uh, Bob Ezrin, uh, and they both basically co-wrote this album with Alice. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I know that the cover art was rated top, uh, was number 90 in 100 by the Rolling Stone. And, you know, this is, this is definitely a, a veer uh, or a hard left from his kind of glam rock stuff that he did before, before this one. Cause this one is so theatrical. When I was listening to it, I was just like, wow, this is, I mean, I feel like, I feel like this is, I wanted to go back and research it cause I was in my car driving to Houston when I was listening to it. I felt like there was going to be a movie that went along with it. And you tell me if there is or not. Yeah, they, there actually was. And there was a, a TV movie that came out that ended up winning an Emmy. Uh, I think it was called The Nightmare. And then they ended up doing a, uh, uh, a full movie of the show, the live show from Wembley. They did, I think, I don't know, five or six nights at Wembley. And then they made a, uh, it was a basically a long form video that came before Michael Jackson's Thriller. It was kind of the precursor to that, that form. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there were others but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a huge deal, and they toured all over the world with it. Uh, I was able to see uh, a couple of nights of that legendary show, and at the time, it was one of the biggest tours in the world, if not the the biggest and the most theatrical stage production. I mean, you know, you're talking uh, nothing like today, you know. But uh, it was a big deal to have uh, Alice had a giant screen on stage that was almost as big as the stage, but it has slits in it. So they'd have the video going with Alice in there and he was in the cemetery smashing up these uh, neon uh, <laughs> tombstones with a, with a shovel. And then he comes breaking through perfectly timed with the movie out live through the screen, you know, and back then that was like, wow. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you imagine now, you know, that you're a hologram, but, but this at the time and giant spider webs were the dancers, uh, which is, you know, yeah. He went from glam rock to having dancers on stage. What's this it called? You said the nightmare. Yeah, yeah, it was a TV special, and then they had the, jeez, um, what was the, uh, the DVD called? Well, uh, it was uh, the live Alice Cooper album. Anyways, yeah. it's this, under the same name. Right on. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. So was your dad part of Lou Reed's original touring band? Yes, that, yes, he was. Um, he got a call to go... Uh, to put a band together and go on tour with Lou Reed. Uh, and he had two weeks to do it. So he put together uh, Steve Hunter and uh, Prakash John and uh, Whitey Glenn. And, and they went out and did the tour. And then they uh, came back, the tour was going so well, to uh, New York. And they recorded uh, Lou Reed live at a theater in New York City. Went back out on tour, came back, and then recorded Rock and Roll uh, Animal record. Okay. And, uh, and then in that... Then, uh, from my, the way my dad tells it, Lou Reed was not happy with all the positive press that the band was getting. It was all about the band, you know, this band. <laughs> Still to this day, you know, this, the solo he and uh, Steve Hunter did on Sweet Pain is, I think, a top, a top 50 or top 25 all-time guitar solo, you know, Rolling Stone. Yeah. You might have to quote me on that. But um, So Lou fired the band. And uh, that's that's how uh, that whole band went over and became Alice Cooper's band for Welcome to My Nightmare. That's and a Tony great Levin, story. Yeah, yeah, it's 
pretty cool. That, that's a killer story. Uh, okay, so I have another question for you, Robert. Um, so I know you do, what do you call it, your, your Black Crow show? Yeah, Black Crow, Robert Wagner's Black Crow's Experience. Is what Experience, I call it. okay. Um, and by the way, I've told you this before, it's incredible. What you guys do, on it's, it's awesome. And I, oh, I, I love, I, I love it when I get to see that show. Um, but now, did I hear something that your dad was involved with the Black Crows? Or is that just you liking the Black Crows? I, I, I wish. Uh, I, I never heard anything about that. Um, and uh, I, I thought long and hard about putting the Southern, Southern Harmony and, you know, uh, companion. I, I was a little bit surprised that I didn't see a Black Crows album. Yeah. That was probably the last the right. last cut, man. It was the last cut, but <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, I figured, hey, you know, I get to go play those songs, so you know, <laughs> the you less go. I talk about them, the better, probably. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this is a tough deal because you have to pick five records, and this is all you get for the rest of your life, you know. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, well, you put it now. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> but back to Alice Cooper, you know. Um, it's like he's he's so legendary when it comes to like you know like when you get to see him in movies and i'm just gonna go ahead i know it's kind of silly but in wayne's world you know he comes across yeah. as this like really uh intellectual guy and, and he's he's always all you know with his big old mask dri dripping mascara and <laughs> yeah but yeah. you know he's just like a legendary personality when it comes to music and especially to rock and roll because he's kind of you know, I mean, to, to do a concept, welcome to my nightmare and have this kind of like evil thing going on. It's, you know, I, don't get me wrong. I sing about evil and the devil and this is what shit I write about all the time. Um, but it's not because I believe in it, you know, so it's, but you know, that's kind of, I don't know, that's just my thought. Um, but great I, will, I, will, I will say that, you know, uh, I think one of my favorite songs was Escape at the very end. The guitar tone on that song, I, yeah. I, I need to find that guitar tone. Yeah. I think that's some Greenback Marshalls. But, you know, I was guessing it was a Marshall. I just didn't know what yeah. else. There's pedals going on with it, but it's, it's just, it's like yeah. thick and chunky and so yeah. just like I had to rewind and go, I, 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 how do I get this tone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was, uh, yeah, that was my dad, man. He, he was uh he and steve hunter just amazing i mean the, the way they played together it was just seamless and uh there's some i mean all those killer riffs on that record um you know my dad just pulling them out um so always amazed me and one of my favorite stories ever was uh the, was the beginning of the whole the whole concept and it was actually a, a moment they were uh, my dad and uh alice were in hawaii after a tour and they were there to uh, to write songs, you know. So we're going to be over here. I'm, Alice is like, I'm in Hawaii. Come over here, Dick. And we're going to write for the record. And we're going to play golf and sit on the beach all day and drink whatever. Um, well, he probably didn't drink anymore then. But anyways, they they were on the beach. My dad had an acoustic sitting there with Alice. And there was a, a storm was coming in, like a big storm, a hurricane yeah. coming okay. in. And you could they could just see it coming from miles away. And then it got close and the, the whole sky went, you know, really dark and got cold. And my dad was just sitting there and he, he plays. And Alice goes, welcome to my nightmare. You know? And that was it. And they just looked at each other. Like it. Yeah, that's it. It was born in that moment. Uh, it's just, it's just I, I, you just gave me the chills. 
<laughs> I love good stories that go yeah. on these albums because, you know, there's reasons why you pick them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm glad to hear. I, I figured that when I, when I realized that your dad was involved with this, I was like, oh, this is, that's, it's got to be some, there's got to be some portion of his thought with it when it comes to this. Yeah, if I had to leave the Black Crows off my list, damn it, it would be family. <laughs> <laughs> Alice, you know, the crazy. But it's, it's, a great, it's a great reason to pick an album. You know, now not only do you get to listen to this epic uh, record for the rest of your life, but now you get to think of your dad every time you listen to it. So, yeah, exactly. Thank uh, you. Yeah, well, good on you for picking that one. Um, okay, let's move onward. Um, let's talk about um, physical graffiti. Now, I know, oh, yeah. I know that you told me that Zeppelin's your favorite rock band. Am I right about that? Yes, I would have to honestly say that it would be my favorite from uh, you know through through my entire life. Zeppelin has just always been there at the top. You know, I I love Zeppelin. I I used to listen to Zeppelin all the time. And, you know, okay, so a little bit of history on this album. Uh, 1975, it was their fifth studio album, I believe. And they started with just eight new songs. And they had those recorded. And it was just under three sides to an LP. So they decided to dig down to the, to the unused tracks from Zep 3, 4, and Houses of the Holy to kind of finish it out. And uh, I know that Jimmy Page said that the uh, title, Physical Graffiti, was because of the physical and written energy of producing the album. Nice. Nice. And I mean, so, so this, uh, of all the Zeppelin albums, this is hands down my favorite. Yeah, man, it's so strong all the way through. And, you know, all of these uh, things I picked, uh, you know, uh, except for maybe Nightmare, which is not that long. It's a typical, but I just love the albums that have, you know, the extra material on there and they just go so deep and they're, you know, uh, just. The thing, uh, the thing is, uh, is that, you know, I mean, there was, I also read that, that like Black Country Woman was not, or there was another song on there that it was not like able to be on a shorter, shorter album because they just didn't feel like it was worthy of it. And yeah, it, uh, believe it too. Maybe was one of them. Yeah, that, yeah that's exactly. Were, that's, that's another one. Yeah, there were outtakes, uh, you know, from other albums where they had recorded in the same sessions, you know. And I think a lot of it was, you know, the uh, the Zeppelin Four. We all know it as Zeppelin Four. You know, they recorded. I mean, that Zeppelin Four. Obviously, I mean, every song is legendary on that entire record. I mean, it's it's like a no brainer. But in, in that sense, you know, they had other songs they recorded, and they just, you know, they didn't mess with it and put anything else on there but that came on to the physical graffiti and i think that's part of what makes it so great you know so, i can listen to those uh those those deep cuts you know a hundred times over before i necessarily want to hear a whole lot of love again i totally get it you know i mean there's there's no like really standout track here but every single one of them is incredible and yeah. it's like, like i was again i was driving to houston i was like okay i'm gonna find a song that i don't really care for and I didn't because, and I, I remembered every song I sang and I haven't listened to this in, in probably 10 years. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, you know, the whole artwork, everything about it was just, is just so epic. And I, you know, it's, it's the, it, this is the art of the album in my opinion. And I'm, I'm assuming you, you feel the same way about that. I spent so many hours, brother, you know, like many of us did. I mean, all the stuff I picked today and I don't, I think the latest one was maybe 75, but, um, you would sit for hours and just look at an album like physical graffiti with all the little windows and the, the Manhattan, you know, mm -hmm. village uh, 
tenement building, you know, and just what's going on? What does it all mean? You know, Zeppelin three. I mean, how long, how long do I stare at that album cover? And then I did it again the next day, you know? Uh, yeah. It was a golden era, if you will. And it's not just to sound nostalgic. I just, the music has stood the test of time and the artwork of these albums. Uh, and now that vinyl is outselling, has finally, you know, outsold Back. CDs. It's back, and uh, the appreciation is going to be there. So these will really, really be prized, in my opinion. Well, obviously. Yeah, no doubt. It's uh, but I mean, this whole album. I mean, it, again, every song. This is because like, you know, I, some people like pick albums because of. Uh, let me ask you this: Why this album over the other ones? More deep cuts. Well, I just love the the the, the variety of uh, of musical. Uh, um, exploration, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. I mean, for any band, let alone just a four-piece, uh, to to play all these different musical styles and just make it, you know, sound completely natural, and and it always had that that boogie. That's the thing about Zeppelin. Uh, I think that people miss is that it just always had that boogie in there, and there was always the feel, and there was always something very soulful that just would resonate. So I just love being able to take that that trip, man, for all the different uh, musical styles that are all based in the rock of you know Led Zeppelin. I mean, how you know? Did you ever get to see them play? No, actually, I, I remember they came through Pontiac when I was growing up, Pontiac, Michigan, and the Silver Dome. And I think that would have been <laughs> seventy-two, maybe. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's about right. And I knew a bunch of my friends, you know, they had dads or uh, uncles that were going to take them. And I, I man, I could have died because I, I would, the Silver Dome was probably five miles from my, where I was, you know. Right. I was like, Jesus. Right around the corner. Yeah, am I not there? Go. So that that's actually a, that's a tough memory to, 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 have to swallow again. I had, you know, they were so close, but no. Um, okay, quick question for you. Uh, what was your first concert? Well, other than the Alice Cooper, my first concert um, was uh, get, get to see Rush. Yeah, that's a good one. Hemis Hemispheres tour at uh, what they called Pine Knob back then up in Clarkston, Michigan. And Pat Travers opened. And oh, there was one more, but it was just, you know, and I, I was sitting up on the lawn and I, you know, I was just like a teenage kid. And, uh, I don't know, 14 years old or something. And I just blown away, just lost my mind, you know? <laughs> yeah, I was, I grew up in Houston and my first concert was, uh, um, uh, Def Leppard. Nice. And I went with my best friend and both of our dads and we were sitting next to each other. Then all of a sudden this dude passed a bong to me and I just, passed it to my my friend he passed it to my or he passed it to me and i passed it to my dad my dad was like what the fuck <laughs> Start calling the guys out. <laughs> come on dad rip the ball <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know what it was <laughs> i bet you had that moment of truth though Shit. my son just passed me the ball that's uh, awesome man that's a great story <laughs> well i get it i get one every once in a while uh, yeah, no. So, you know, for me, I've always liked Zeppelin. Um, they would never go in my top five records, but um, I've always had a huge appreciation for them. Just like I have a huge appreciation for the Beatles. But for me, Zeppelin is, you know, uh, you know, you can say they're the greatest rock and roll. And I, of course, will say somebody else, the Stones. But 
um, you know, it's, that's just me. And yeah. Um, well, I, man, I'm with you as far like the sounds is, is so right there, man, completely. You know, they just, that, that stuff, it just, it still it make it moves you right now. You know, the Zeppelin, I mean, listen, it, it's great. It's a, there's a little bit of datedness to it where I think the stones it still sound fresh. I mean, it, you know, I'm with you on that. I mean, uh, well, you know, I, I, just need, I needed like three or four more. <laughs> I, everybody, everybody wants more <laughs> albums. I mean, records to pick, but, uh, you know, I, I believe that Zeppelin and, um, the stones, the black crows, I feel that they are, I, let me just say Zeppelin and the stones. They're the ones Aerosmith. They're the ones that created what I call rock and roll. And I, I look at rock and roll and I define rock and roll differently than most people do. I, I define it like Lester Bangs does, says, and it's, it's more of an attitude and um, a, a, the way you think about things than it is the style of music. So, you know, I believe that these are the first guys that came out and said, I don't give a shit about what anybody says. I'm going to do this. I'm going to wear this. I'm going to do blah, 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 whatever I want to. And so, you know, Johnny Cash, Waylon, Willie, yep. those guys are all just as hell rock yeah. and roll. Oh, hell yes. Hell yes. Um, I, I will say if you ever have, or if you already have, great, but you have to check out the Mike Judge, you know, uh, Tales from the Tour Bus. Those guys, <laughs> so are, I mean, those so guys are such rebel rock star, crazy. I mean, you see musicians on some level, you know, I bet there are, you know, dudes that play in the symphony that are just nuts. That Everybody's just like, that dude is crazy. Um, I was going to say, while you were talking, brother, and making your point about the Stones and Zeppelin, I, it, it, it dawned on me. I think why Zeppelin for me because uh, I'm, you know, I'm a singer, and so singing yep. the Led Zeppelin. Um, I mean, I, that's the thing that connects me to it more than anything. Now that I'm thinking, about, along with the songs, obviously, but um, you know, singing that plant stuff, man. I just, I just, oh, you know, every time it's one's on, I want to sing it and I want to nail it. You know, I don't. It's always been that way. I can't sing his stuff, man. He's, um, I've got too low of a voice. Yeah, you but it's sexy, so there you go. Hey, I mean, okay. You <laughs> You're right. You got to make the trade-off. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be no Robert Plant for you, but you will did you ever sound good on your podcasts. Did you ever meet Robert Plant when he was living here in Austin? Never did. I actually went to Whole Foods a few times when I didn't really need to. <laughs> but I never got to see it. You had your special uh, Robert Plant eyeglasses on that could spot them easier than anybody else. Just come up and start talking about, you know, tofu and, and, and <laughs> maybe, maybe he wouldn't think I was a weirdo. And then I could start asking questions about Jimmy Page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you like his 14-year-old girlfriend, Robert? No, that's a whole nother. You just read the... My, my, do, you know, do you know Shyla? Do you my friend Shyla? But do you know her about you? Anyway, uh, her dad or her stepdad was in Jethro Tull and she got to meet Robert Plant. She goes, hey, you might know my dad. Uh, he was a drummer for Jethro Tull. And he's like, oh, no, no, those guys are terrible. And so I'm like, totally. I mean, what a dick, right? What a dick. God, what a dick. Well, I'm glad I didn't meet him then. Jethro well, Tull is badass. I agreed. But I mean, that was the poor thing's dad, geez. <laughs> right? <laughs> Your dad, he stinks of rubbish and <laughs> onion, onion skins. Oh, oh yes. Uh, all right. So, Zeppelin, that uh, again, great album. Loved it. 
Um, speaking of other iconic, legendary albums, let's talk about the White Album. Yeah. Released in 1968 by the Beatles, um, mostly written on their Transcendental Meditation Retreat. And this is, I believe, the time of uh, the Beatles when Yoko came into the scene and started making a ruckus. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Don't be a Yoko, ladies. <laughs> I'm sure she's proven to be a... a True that. You know, she was right. a little in his life, but yeah, yeah. So of the yeah. Beatles albums that have been picked, you know, I mean, eight Beatles albums have been picked. This is that's hands down the best, the the most popular band. Um, granted, there's not all. It's not like two for the White Album. Where else? I, I, Magical Mystery Tours one. Um, there was Abbey Road, I'm sure. Revolver, Abbey Road, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, come on, let's. The, why this album? Well, for me, it was a personal thing. I mean, uh, when going to, uh, you know, going to visit my dad in the rare times that I did when uh, he was on all those tours uh, in New York. And one time we took a trip down to uh, uh, a place called Barbados. <laughs> one of the places that sounds glamorous. The rest of the time I didn't see him. But, uh, you know, he would be off doing his thing, you know, like 70 rock stars do, 70s rock stars did. And uh, so I would just be left alone, but I got into that white album and then it just, uh, you know, I just listened to it over and over and over. And, uh, you know, it was just a time where I was just by myself and uh, very reflective on, you know, my life and all those things. But, you know, the songs are just all brilliant and the way the, uh, they recorded everything just coming in, you know, you know, it just happened that they had full, you know, use of the studio because they had gotten off they'd done their last tours and I think their label bought Abbey Road or whatever, bought the studio mm -hmm. and, and they would just come in and they just, you know, it was, it's like vignettes of, you know, of, of rock. And, and, you know, there are some, you know, great songs and there's other little stuff that you could tell is just a piece of a song, but it, somehow it just works. And then there's uh, every different uh, emotion and style on there. And it's just genius. You know, I don't know. How do you, how do you uh you know explain genius you just have to hear it and know it you know i guess i mean there are some iconic songs and songs that i love i mean you dear prudence is like you know such a classic classic song i, I love hey jude um rocky raccoon that was like one of the first songs i learned how to play on the guitar <laughs> yeah you know? um but you know it's like revolution um what, what else is back in the ussr I mean, there's, there's so, the, the birthday, come on. You know, yeah. That's like, the, that's like the best birthday song ever. <laughs> easily, easily. Well, you know, the whole, the record, the whole, the whole thing starts with the, back in USSR and it's right. like a, it's like a rock and beach boy song, which of course I think Mike Love suggested a, a line and there suggested to Paul McCartney about put Russian girls in there. And, and um, it was like Ringo had left a band at that time. He was, he was kind of disillusioned. And so Paul played drums on it. You know, they wrote it. That was the first thing. And then uh, the next one, Dear Prudence. I didn't know that. So like you said, the Maharashi time, you know, uh, Mia Farrow's little sister was named Prudence. And she locked herself in her hut for two weeks because she wanted to get to God faster than anybody else. She was just like, I don't have time for how you doing or breakfast. And so John Lennon was just writing about prudence, you know, come out, come out to play, come out of your hut. 
she was probably cute. <laughs> really? Oh wow! Wow, that's that's a great yeah. insight. I never I never knew that. Yeah. See, I love this podcast. I get me I get, too. I, I love this podcast. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I'm digging yeah, it. I mean, it's 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 fun. I mean, I just I love to hear stories and what people know about the reasons that they pick these albums. Um, yeah, no, that's 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 great. You know, and then there's always the whole while my guitar gently weeps and Eric Clapton, blah blah blah. Um, not the biggest Eric Clapton fan, and not because I, I just read his autobiography and I was like, God, he is. I, I hope I don't piss anybody off here, but he's such a pussy. <laughs> it, he he angered me i mean it, it was, it was it, it, trying to man steal up. trying to steal a beetle's wife he did oh, he actually man. did the audacity yeah and then and then and then ask for you know for people to feel bad for him i just i loved it too much i couldn't help it you're right exactly you know what uh, it's called my friend it's called access when you're when you're when you're backdooring me with my chick my wife <laughs> my girlfriend because you're my buddy and you're around all the time. And every time I piss her off, you're there to go, oh, he's terrible. That's, yeah. Other than that, you know, he plays a mean guitar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he does play a mean guitar and he's, he's a great musician, but it, I, don't know, I just, I, I have problems. Call me judgmental, but, you know, uh, yeah. there's, a, there's a certain amount of ethics that go into things too as well. So, you know, I just found out today because I was kind of looking into this record a little bit um, just to brush back up. It, Happiness is a Warm Gun is what's mm -hmm. one of the coolest songs ever. But um, I guess uh, Charles Schultz, the Peanuts, he, Happiness is a Warm Puppy, he put it out in like 62. And then this uh, magazine that sold gun, it was like a gun magazine. They did a parody of that and said, happiness is a warm gun. And I think George Martin brought it in and showed John Lennon. Look at this funny little, you know, like George Martin said, look at this little funny thing, uh, you know, Peanuts parody. And John Lennon went, ah, I got to write that. <laughs> what a cool song, man. Happiness is a warm gun. I always wondered, what is that? What is that a reference to? Or what, you know, in case anybody actually knew. Uh, that's, that's, see, more insight I did not know about. Uh, yeah, but, you know, I love the the whole, I mean, hey, Jude, hey, Judy, and blah, 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 all that stuff. But, you know, yeah, why don't we do it in the road? You know what uh, I mean? You know, Revol revolution number nine. The biggies. What is it? Um, number nine. Number nine. Was that, <laughs> that was like a whole, like, uh, I heard. That, that was a Yoko thing, I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> But if, if you played it backwards when they were saying that, it said something about the devil or something like that. Yeah, or, or it just said number six. Yeah. <laughs> number six. <laughs> number six. Uh, right on. Uh, yeah, super, super um, basic packaging. Um, what, yeah, yeah, after they did uh, Sergeant Pepper, and you know, the great legendary cover of Sergeant right. Pepper was uh, all that stuff that you could look at for hours and who's that and they wanted to go the complete opposite direction so they just went for the plain white you know it's kind of reminds me of spinal tap you know, oh, you know it, it's i'm sure all those you know different albums played in there but you know it's, it's black you know it's <laughs> any blacker Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> this is the saddest of all chords. Well, what is it? It's E minor. Well, uh, yeah, what's the song called? It's called Lick My Love Pump. <laughs> exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, I watched. Uh, it's more I of a mock piece. Yeah, yeah. Like a 
It's more of a pop piece. I uh, I actually got a Spinal Tap CD one time, and I don't know where it is. I mean DVD, and I don't know where it is, but it had so the uh, the movie's like an hour and a half long, and it had an hour of outtakes. Oh my gosh. Uh, I mean, yeah, like yeah. when they were underneath in Cleveland going, Cleveland, Cleveland, hey, hello, Cleveland. You know, there was like, I mean, just as good as the movie. And I, yeah. I, I got to see if I can find it. it, it it's, yeah, I mean, I got to see that. I got to see that. It's, it's incredible. incredible. I mean, Spinal Tap. I mean, all, all of Christopher Guest movies just kill me. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan. Yeah, man. And, you know, I mean, I, I believe, and this is just me because I love Keith Richards and I think the Stones are great, but um, I believe you're either Beatles or Stones. And um, I'm yeah. clearly Stones, but I, I believe if you're Beatles, you're either John or, or, or Paul. Yeah, I'm a John guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm a Paul guy, if I had to pick. Okay. Yeah, but are, are you a Mick or a Keith guy? <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, that's not true. No, no. No, I'm asking. <laughs> oh, I, well, I'm definitely a Keith guy. No, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, feel like I feel like he. That was not a trick question. I, <laughs> well, so you already knew. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I love Mick. Um, I, I love to celebrate his birthday because it's two days after National uh, Tequila Day. So oh, I just kind of, yeah. I kind of, you know, just make it a three-day binge. Yeah. Well, I just started rereading Keith Richards' life, man. I just because uh, I went out of town for uh, about a week and and I had it with me, and I'm just like, oh, right, that's you know, you get transported. I said, what a great made book. I've I've been reading. I've been reading. So get this. So I, I had I did a podcast with Mike G, and it was only about the Stones, and I said, hey. Um, have you you've read Keith Richards' life, right? And he's like, No, I haven't. I was like, dude, we're doing a podcast on the stones and you haven't read this book. <laughs> that is that's bullshit, dude. And so afterwards I asked him for his address and then I I, I sent him the book. Good. And, that's and, awesome, and, and sent him the book because that is too cool. Yeah. I did it with Kevin McKinney too, because he he picked uh an Aerosmith record. And I said, Well, I've got this book, I'm about to read it. It's the Steven Tyler autobiography. He's like, oh, I haven't read that. So I basically sent him that too, you know. Well, no spoilers, you know, but when I read the last lines of, of that book and finished that book, and I mean, I just, it, it hit me like a kick in the gut. It was so profound. And I immediately started reading it again, but I was like, I just read this book, you know. It's, and I, you know what, book. though? I mean, I, oh, I, I, good. I literally wanted to read it again, like, as soon as I finished it. And I've the been book on this binge huge. of reading music biographies and autobiographies, and I love them. I read the Buck Owens. I read the Waylon Jennings. I, I'm reading right now the Charlie Daniels. I, of course, have read uh, um, Life multiple times, and uh, you know other biographies about musicians and stuff like that. But the Life one was just so. It it, it really is. It's it, it's like so deep, and and you don't think of Keith as being deep. You know, my favorite yeah. quote. My favorite quote of his is just waking up in the morning means a lot to me. Yeah. I mean, you know, those guys, uh, my dad was the same way. I, I don't know how, but they remembered the tiniest details from just, I mean, and I, you know, I'd like to think I do, but I definitely don't. They remember all this stuff. And so when they're able to recount it like that, like Keith does in that book, and you just, man, he just, you're just right there. It's, it's phenomenal. And what a life. A friend of mine sent me a, a picture of, of Keith Richards as a youth, and his ears are like, just like, like 90 <laughs> degrees out. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know he had to scrap, man. You know that's how he got to be who he is. Yeah, and, uh, you know Rosie Flores, right? 
Yeah. Okay. Well, so she was cutting, she's a good friend of mine. She was, she was cutting her hair. She was starting to cut her own hair. And I was like, I walked in one day and she was playing at happy hour. She was like, I love your hair. And she was going for the Keith Richards look and trying to cut it. <laughs> she was cutting it herself. <laughs> Dude, even when I was playing eighties, you know, rock with all the guys with makeup on and, you know, we, we started, my band was called as is, but A-Z-I-Z. And anyways, we, uh, we refused to wear makeup, but we still wore everything else. But we always, we just met, we grew our hair as long as we could. And we just matted it. Like we wanted to be Keith Richards so bad. All this. <laughs> so here it was like, you know, like, uh, uh, oh my God, it was just crazy. Uh, Kramer hair, but, but cool rock hair, you know, but we wanted to be yeah. Keith Richards always. He was just, he was the man. He still is the man. Shit. I, he, he always will be. I mean, greatest rock star of all time. He's hands down. I mean, for me, I'll go right there. Yeah, oh, easy. Keith Richards, man. I, I don't. I don't. I, I hate all the jokes. Oh, hey, what are the cockroaches gonna do when Keith Richards dies? I'm like, oh, come on, dude, shut up. It's like low brow. It's yeah. <laughs> Just enjoy right. while he's here, man. No, no joke, right? Uh, okay, hey, let's let's turn over to Elton John now. You picked Elton John's greatest hits. I'm assuming it's the one from 1974. I think that's correct. And I know it's not an actual album, but it was released as an album, so I took the, the loophole. Okay. I, I didn't know if there was a different reason why you picked it, if, if there were specific songs on it that gave you inspiration or if, if you just was, liked the, all those songs. But, I mean, there, there's, there, it's got a, a ton of it's, – it's basically from 70 to 74 – of course, co-written everything with Bernie Taupin, who's incredible. Uh, you know, songs, Daniel, Saturday Night. I've got a funny story about that, too. Um, sure. uh, Honky Cat, Goodbye, Gilbert, blah, 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 blah. But there's no, like, Tiny Dancer or Levon or Bitch is Back, you know. Yeah, those should have been on there. My favorite Elton John album is um, Tumbleweed Connection. Yeah. That's yeah. that's that's hands down my favorite Elton John album. It's kind of you know not that notorious or or, or famous, whatever you want to call it, or infamous. But um, that's cool. So man. Talk cool. to me about about this album. Well, it's just one that I always, for, as far as long as I can remember, having an album. That album was there. It was always there, and uh, somehow it survived all the moves. And um, I just that that music. Uh, I was, for some reason in my life, I was always attracted to a piano. Like if I saw one in a room, I just had to go. And a lot of times it was not appropriate. And I got kicked out of a couple of hotels, you know, later <laughs> on. Uh, Playing Lick My Love Pump? Yes. I mean, you know, like, I, I am not a piano player, but I just, so, but Elton John, man, I don't know. It was like, you know, when, when the girls, when I was a teenager, you know, 13, 14, and all the girls kind of looked just like us, except they were girls and they were beautiful. But, you know, we all wore denim and we had our hair parted in the middle and we were just all listening to this stuff. And it's, uh, it's so nostalgic, but it, yet, you know, when I started doing uh, Monday morning Facebook Lives, when we all got sheltered in place uh, in March, I uh, just happened to start doing them on a Monday morning just by chance. But immediately I, I it became a thing and i don't even know why i was like i have to do an elton john song every every time i do this and i have a little piano here in my house is one of my most prized possessions if not my most and so you know playing elton john songs is for me it's it just feel i just feel elevated you know in every way for some reason i i, 
I've played a bunch of other people's stuff and my own stuff, but man, there's something about playing an Elton John song and singing an Elton John song. If you can get it even close, it's just so good, man. It just, it just does it to you. Uh, actually, I have three stories for you. Good. Let's see if I can remember them all. Um, number one is I had, so I was in a fraternity when I was in college. And um, when I was a senior, there was this freshman that, that came through and he was kind of like me, really cocky. And, and anyway, 20 years later, we reconnect and he is, a, a, and he's super cool dude, super cool dude. He runs a, a, a CBD THC company out of Austin. They get all their stuff from Colorado. Um, but I, I started hanging out with him. Then he basically said, hey, listen, uh, my, my, my grandmother just died. And I kind of started thinking about doing Candle in the Wind, but tweaking the lyrics up. Would you mind singing that at her funeral? Wow. And uh, I said, I'd, I'd love to. Uh, ends up the family didn't know me because we had just kind of reconnected and, but I rewrote the lyrics and I did it. Did, I basically did it after the funeral. They came back to the, to somebody's house and I went over there and I, and I sang it for him. So that's just kind of the, the, the love, love wow, song. Every, everybody freaked out about it, but I, I changed the lyrics up, you know, to, you know, in Austin's uh, lakes and home or whatever it was. I changed, I tweaked it up to be all like about her, even though I'd never met her, but, uh, the Princess die treatment, which is great, man. Exactly. Exactly. That's beautiful, man. So, um, what was the other thing? Okay, well, then maybe I'll only tell two stories if I if I don't remember. So, my other my, the, my one of my favorite things in the world was when I was watching this movie in high school. I think it was in high school. My friend Pittman was like, "Hey, we've got uh, you got to watch this movie with me called Fandango. Have you ever seen this movie? I have not. I know of it. Kevin Costner, Judd Nelson are in it." And uh, that was my first kind of like really like introduction to Elton John when they started playing Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting or yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever it's called. And they're yeah. like drive down the road and they grab a beer bottle, rah, you know. It's like, <laughs> but um, so th those are my two my my two Elton John stories. And if I remember my other one, I'll, I'll tell it. But uh, what else do you have to say about Elton John? Because I mean, I, it, is this is is it the vocals? Is it the piano? Is it it, what is it? Is it the lyrics? Is it the songs? What is it that tracks you to Elton John? Well, I, man, I can tell you it, real quick, like you were saying, uh, I remember the first time I heard Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. It might have been the first time I heard an Elton John song and, and was aware of it. Uh, I lived down the street from this little bowling alley in Frankenmuth, Michigan, of all places. And, uh, I had a cornfield you know, I lived at the dead end of a cornfield. And anyways, I was in this bowling alley because that was my sanctuary, like cornfield or bowling alley. Uh, <laughs> and that song came on. And I just remember I, I, I had to have been eight or nine years old and I lost my mind. And then my uncle owned a bar at one point and a few years later, we ended up being living on top of the bar <laughs> and right. uh, my mother and my brother and I, but and my, my uncle would give me quarters that had paint on them so I, they could reuse them uh, to play the jukebox, you know, and Elton John, man, was just rocking that jukebox and trying to see over the pool table to play. And, but it's really, you know, what I would call them is life chords. It's something about the way those songs are written uh, that just, like I say, it just, it gets to me. It speaks to me. You know, Elton John is obviously a great singer and a great, pianist but it, it really comes back to the songs and those even those kind of those lyrics that are so amazing but you know they I think a lot of those Bernie Taupin lyrics would have been kind of esoteric if not uh, hard to understand or 
you know, what do they mean if that music wasn't written along with them? But, you know, it's same as that music wouldn't necessarily be anything without those words. I don't know. It just works. And how those guys wrote all those songs that are to this day, I mean, uh, you know, some of the most popular music ever recorded. Um, I think they sold 24 million records of this album. That, so, uh, but, um, you know, they never were in the same room the, for not one minute of writing all those songs together. I know. So that's, uh, just blows your mind, but you know, how, how does that happen? But it did. And it, that's incredible. I'm just going to go ahead and assume that you saw rocket man. I have not seen it yet because I, I just, Oh dude, are you kidding me? Uh, uh, okay. All right. So some people say, Oh, I didn't like, I thought it was phenomenal. I, I thought the actor, I forget his name, but he did an incredible job. Uh, that's what I'm going to ask you to do now. Okay, I'm going to do it tonight. In, within the week, please watch that movie and then at, at least tell me what you thought about it. Because, I mean, there's this one part, like when he's first, he first, I forget what club it is, like Troubadour or something like that. And yeah, Troubadour. Like three nights. Yeah. And he, he, he basically, they do this like scene where he goes up and he, his legs go way back. It's all in slow motion and it pauses and then it oh, boom, it comes right. Up. I'm getting the chills thinking about it. It's like, I, lo I love that movie and I'm, I'm, this is hard right here. And it, it's, I don't know. So please, please go check out that movie. It's, you know, I can't send you a book. I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to see if I can send you the movie. Man, I like that. Send me the movie. Well, if I can, I will. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> That's okay, man. I'll get it. Um, just, I've been meaning to do it. I was going to watch it with somebody and then, uh, you know, she never wanted to watch it. So. Go, go burn one down and, and you'll enjoy it. I promise. Do that, my friend. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then of course, like, I mean, I mean, perfect songs for like movies and stuff, tiny dancer and almost famous. It was uh, just such, such a, a specifically perfect song for that. That's just one of the greatest pairings of a song in a movie. I, 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 I totally agree. I totally agree with you on that. And so, okay, but all right. This has been. Whoa, I so loved rapping with Robert. I mean, how cool is it that his dad had so much of an influence on him? I mean, awesome. Well, if you got the gumption, head over to TheBigGunShow.com. That's TheBigGunShow.com. And check out what my band is up to these days. You can also catch us on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. All with the same handle. The Big Gun Show Band. That's the beginning band and the end. And our most consistent gig is our monthly residency at The Little Longhorn Saloon, a.k.a. Jenny's, here in Austin. It's the home of Chicken Shit Bingo. We play the happy hour on the first Friday of every month. And I think you should bring your grandma because I promise she's going to have a blast. And I'll be back in two weeks and then every other week after that. So close your eyes. Now you're stranded in a college football stadium listening to Robert Wagner's Five Records. What five records do you have? <laughs>